This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. From the nation's capital, this is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast with your host, Rob Snowett. We're at Whitlow's on Wilson tonight. It's uh, uh, 3-11 day, and we've got Brad Bowen from Muskie Country Outfitters. And he's in town with Urban Anglers this week, and we're going to talk muskie fishing. So let's talk about your background, where you grew up, and then uh, maybe some background on muskie, if you call them M-U-S-K-I-E versus M-U-S-K-Y. And then while you're talking, I'll come up with some other questions. Well, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I'm Brad Bowen from northern Wisconsin, and I, if you can't tell from the, uh, we're just south of Canada up there, eh? But uh, our uh, our state fish is the muskie, and um, I basically took my fly fishing passion and uh, took it to another level of the big, the big toothy critter, and it seems to be a little bit of the the the, the fire burning in the uh, understory of the fly fishing world right now. So everybody's got a Got got a got musky on the mind, so um, it's not that different than than other fish. Only they uh, they're not they're not afraid of you, and uh, they'll basically eat anything that uh, they can get their mouth around. So have at it. Let's 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 get on to the question. So Colby Trobe from Mossy Creek Outfitters mentioned you're going down there if you haven't already. And he said they're going to put down chicken wire and uh, and and. Uh, what do you call that when you cut up wood sawdust so you and kelly gallup are gonna have like a go at it but he was saying the difference between our muskie in virginia and your muskie is that right now all of yours are under ice is that what you're doing down below the mason dixon line right now is just kind of showing off what what you do your flies trying to get clients selling the movie etc this is like your off season to to build up the uh the client base exactly well up north we got this thing called the shack nasties that hit about this time of year and it gets a little bit crazy uh yeah that the um what was it the jack nicholson movie where these up was it 
up in the up in the crazy resort, and they go they go a little they go a little bonkers about this time of year. So I'm on what on the endless uh, the endless spring southern swing tour. So taking the northern musky uh, technology and bringing it down south, and that's, that's exactly right. Right now we're everything's locked up under ice. So I've been touring around the southern states here and Tennessee, North Carolina, Virginia. Um, Maryland and and uh, yeah, I'm 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 actually learning quite a bit from exploring the musky realm down here at a time of the year when we're really shut out because of the seasonal uh, conditions and finding uh, finding that the fish at ten thousand casts is a little bit different in the south than it is up north and I'm actually learning quite a bit about the you know the biology and the seasonal movements of them down here and I'm really enjoying myself. Plus, I'm getting to meet a bunch of cool guys and uh, drink some interesting brews. We don't have Yingling. Available up there, and uh, huh, I love it. Yeah, swamp ass, but uh, no, I'm enjoying it. And I'm getting to meet a lot of cool people, bringing the uh, bringing the musky vibe around, and uh, you know, yeah, it's all part of it. The fly fishing world a, is a fun thing to get out and about with. So this is giving me a chance to uh, to avoid winter and regular obligations, and I get to pretend like I have a, a virtual trust fund. But I, I got to eventually go back to work up there. So if you're musky, you're under the ice right now. I'm guessing they've got a slower metabolism than southern muskies. So they're probably some pretty old fish up there. So what size fish are we talking about, and how old do you estimate some of these big fish are with um, this delayed metabolism throughout the season? Mm-hmm. Good. Good question. And uh, yeah, exactly. We have so one of the one of the things I'm finding is um, honestly, I, I feel that if you're a straight up trophy hunter. Um, you probably have a better shot down here in 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 the in Virginia uh, of putting a 50 inch fish in the boat statistically than we do up in Wisconsin because we 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 have a slower growing fish from what I understand um, I've talked with you know a lot of biologists around now from both both north and south and our typical you know when we we start looking at a, a trophy muskie we start talking about fish that are 40 inches plus. And to get get a northern fish to that 40 inch range, um, we're looking at about 12 to 15 years on average. Where, um, when I, my understanding is down here in the south, because of the extended growing season, to, they reach that 40 inch mark in you know eight to nine years. So they they hit to, they get to that big high end predator. And and honestly, um, where where I come from, the you know until a muskie reaches that you know 38 39 inch range, it still is not out of the the realm of getting attacked and killed by another fish. So um, once they once they get to that real big adult level, then you know that that's where we start kind of marking it. And y- you guys down here in the south have a little bit of an advantage because you have a year-round, you know, growing season, um, and the fish get bigger faster. And uh, you know, I'm really impressed with what's going on down here. We we probably have a little bit, like you say, we have an older musk musky population. I think because of the cold. Uh, the cold climate, they, they tend to live to be a little bit longer. I know that I've heard uh, some reports of uh, fish exceeding 30 years up there. And, um, again, you know, to, to produce, you know, uh, uh, you know, the holy grail, which you, I, would, I would consider anything over 50 inches to be a real achievement, a lifetime fish. And uh, I've seen two of them in my existence in my boat up in northern Wisconsin, and it's a rare creature, but... Uh, what I'm understanding down here, I still haven't, I still haven't put a, one that size in the boat uh, in the south, but 
they're 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 here and they're available and you guys have a really cool thing going down here i'm really impressed with it you know i grew up in virginia and we we knew we had muskie like down the street in burke lake and we knew we had him in the shenandoah and some other rivers in virginia but i don't think it was until like your movie came out we saw that at the f3t two years ago that people really started piquing their interest in muskies and trying to dial in how to figure them out would you sort of credit your movie as getting you know, interest peaked around the nation that these fish are obtainable on a fly rod and definitely something to, worth trying to go after yeah I, I get asked that a lot um and I'm, I'm pretty humble about it but musky fly fishing you can go back and and actually look at some uh some some historical lo- books and literature and uh i've seen uh musky on the fly in print going back into the 1940s so this is not a new concept by any means but it's been something that has been on definitely on the fringe of fly fishing and not not really well talked about up until about the time that we we decided you know to bring this thing out with that movie and it it, it lit a little bit of an understanding and a fire in the community of fly fishing and and i guess it maybe demystified the fact that of the muskie being you know uh the fish of ten thousand casts and in in this unattainable creature but um if you you know you look at the the video we tend to be a little bit self-deprecating about it and, we, and i call myself the king of the dipshits so it's uh if we can get if we can get fish doing that uh our way i feel like anybody that's a good angler around the country can get onto it and 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 you do the the research and muskies are available there's thir- there's 36 states right now where, where natural muskies or tiger muskies are available so they're a real uh, available creature um a big trophy fish that that's in you know reach easy reach in most people uh in their backyard and, and so we have this high-end caliber trophy fly rod fish that uh you don't have to go halfway across the world to to, to get onto. and um i think the inspiration of the movie has provided a, a a platform for people to actually go out and start doing this and we're, we're i'm starting to get the feedback around the country that it's it's working because there, there's definitely a lot of guys getting on these critters now and it's if you apply uh, some good angling sense and, and uh, start learning the techniques, it's it's definitely something that um, is within reach of everybody. Next, I want to talk about some of the gear you use. We'll do flies afterwards because musky flies, that's a whole other uh, bag of worms. What, what sort of rods and reels are you using, the boats you're using, uh, weight lines, tippet material, other just hardware that you're using to get these big guys from their layers up in and onto the side of the boat. Well, they definitely will push the limits of what most people consider usual tackle. But um, you can, you know, I mean, people take muskies on all, all manner of, of fly fishing tackle by accident. I mean, you can certainly, you know, get one on a five or a six weight. But that's, you know, again, I like to use analogies. And would you would you go about framing a house with a, um, you know, a tack hammer? You could you could do it, but is that the best way to go? No. So. Uh, start breaking the logic of it down and um these are challenging fish they they do require a lot of effort and we fish bigger you know oversized flies for the most part and so delivering those it's a typical outfit for for our style of fishing is a 10 weight rod nine foot 10 weight rod um we we tend to fish uh intermediate and integrated sinking lines you, you know something in the in the 300 to 500 grain sinking line uh, category is our as our typical line, um, nine foot, ten foot, and even 11 foot fly rods. We're we're seeing a, a trend towards using the uh, two hand style surf casting overhead fishing uh, 
technique is uh, becoming more popular because throwing the the bigger the bigger uh, rod and the bigger fly on the heavy line can put quite a bit of stress on your cat and you know if you're single hand casting so we're starting to move in towards the the two-handed overhead style casting which these coastal fishermen have been pioneering for a long time so you know this musky realm has evolved quite a bit in the last three four five years where we we're getting line manufacturers rod manufacturers uh, and even boat companies starting to specifically deal with uh musky musky fly fishing so and you asked a little bit about the type of watercraft and um, stand-up fishing tends to be the thing. Uh, canoes and kayaks, al- although they're very accessible, you know, they get you accessible real, real quick and cheap. Um, the, the game is a lot of blind casting, bringing the fish all the way back to the boat on the presentation and making boatside maneuvers. These, you know, the, the, well, you hear the term the figure eight, but we, we make a lot of, of, of turns at the boat with the fly, bringing the, bringing that fly all the way back where we're stripping in the, um, you know the whole fly line all the way to the leader knots, and then bringing the bringing the you know the connection knots all the way up into into the tip top of the rod, and then keeping the rod tip down deep in the water, and making big wide turns with the fly at the boat to to kind of simulate um, the action of a small fish being caught near the boat. These fish, uh, that one of the proclivities of a muskie is that they they will take other other fish that are being caught off the line. They're uh, they're not afraid of anything really they're a high-end alpha predator if you think like tyrannosaurus rex or grizzly bear muskies are right on the same level with with um, that type of alpha predator and um, i've known them to hit electric trolling motor props i've had them strike my uh oar blades on the on the drift boat a number of times um people get attacked uh, hanging their feet in the water or their hands in the water back in wisconsin it's real common to hear you know newspaper reports of People haven't uh, been t- attacked by a muskie, so they're they're a different they're they're a completely outside the box critter, as opposed to most other freshwater fish. So, throwing the conventional thought process and, and your usual uh, approach to fishing out the door and, and getting into this you know kind of a fish that doesn't go by the normal rules. That that I guess that that's in a nutshell. That's pretty much what um, you know muskie fly fishing is all about. So if you're if you're a little bit geared towards the alternative activities or uh, a little bit uh, a little bit kooky in my case, uh, then this is definitely um, a facet of the fly fishing sport that might interest you. Fantastic. All right. Let's talk about some of your fly time. So you were at Tide Fest over the weekend, and you're making these, you know, honestly, these things look like fake parrots you'd get for a, a costume for a pirate for Halloween or something. Yeah, some Mardi Gras if you're going to a... You know, one of those concerts by the Margaritaville band, whatever they are. So the thing that interested me most was you're making these articulated shank tops with this crazy contraption that, to me, I was like, you know, a deer in headlights watching you make that. So is that something that a necessity? Is it a budget thing that you make your own articulated shank parts that you then put the hook and trailer behind? And also, if you want to talk about uh, what model... Vice you use, you know, the brand hooks, threads, and uh, definitely want to talk about your use of clear cure goo. I know that's a lot to swallow, but uh, see if we can knock some of those out. Oh, again, really good questions. And uh, um, 
one of the things I really like about the the sport of muskie fishing in general, even outside the fly fishing realm, is that it's always been sort of a crafty element. Um, where I come from in northern Wisconsin, uh, a lot of the old-time muskie guys always had their own bait. They'd either carve it or make a, their own kind of spinner bait, and that was the traditional style of muskie fishing was uh, building your tackle from scratch. And I was a big fan growing up of in, in, fly, in the fly fishing world of uh, West Coast steelhead or classic Atlantic salmon where the flies sort of took on their own personality. They had a lot of different materials and different techniques to tie um, these flies for very difficult to catch fish and I see the muskie being in the same kind of category as as those classic fly rod fish where we can create flies with personality I mean if you've seen the you know the way that muskie the muskie flies have been you know evolving there there is a lot of materials involved in them a lot of big you know big crazy feathers um, bucktail uh, big fly fibers you know there's a lot that goes into into tying these patterns and they do they they're kind of a they're kind of a they're kind of a party favor looking thing yeah mardi gras or the steven tyler and the whole you know feather in the hair realm um is not you know that that that's it is you know it's funny that that all sort of took place at the same time but yeah these patterns are 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 big they're bulky there's a lot of materials that go into them and and they they do catch a lot of attention uh by necessity not just from the you know from the human beings but the fish as well so there we, we tie patterns that have a lot of kind of inherent bulk in them to move water and produce a lot of different uh actions you know in in the in the water column um you're asking about sort of this this new wire bending technique that uh, i'm working with and that was just a way to start extending these a lot of times we'll end up um, articulating the patterns with one, two, three shanks at a time to get these flies that'll, you know, be a foot, 15 inches, or even bigger overall in length. Um, and so, uh, taking some heavy-duty stainless steel uh, wire and learning to make some twists into them and building these articulated shanks is just sort of the the way that the form of that musky fly has been is going along. And you're also asking about sort of the vices and and different things so yeah you're not going to take your 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 tiny midge jaws and and uh adapt that into you know two aught three aught four aught five aught type hooks which are our standard so going you know going into the extremes of the sport we we are sort of at the extreme end of fly design for sure and the 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 flies continue to evolve and get bigger and more intricate as people get into this and start applying their artistic and creative talents towards this and i'm really seeing a lot of interesting things happening in fly development but we're just basically you know taking tried and true techniques from all the masters you know uh these uh, east coast tires uh, guys like lefty cray and bob popovic and and uh you know really great predator anglers from from the you know the history of this sport and we're we're basically ripping off all their techniques and mixing and matching this stuff and, and creating these new concoctions but uh we've got new products coming out like you mentioned clear cure goo um one of my one of my favorite you know new new discoveries in the, in the world of fly tying so we've got these uh light cured resins that are helping us to build stronger more durable flies and sort of pushing the envelope of what we can do especially on the the front end of it where we're incorporating uh you know eyeballs and uh 
kind of new head designs and all kinds of different uh, new new features to uh, create these these you know these masterpieces. And uh, so yeah, like I, I guess I see the industry uh, evolving just about as quickly as this facet of the sport is to keep up with uh, the the desire to uh, see where the boundary of this you know fly fishing realm that we all love and is going to go and uh, i think muskies right now is one of the the species of fish that is pushing the envelope on that and it's it's fun to see what's happening and i think that you know for the next you know five to ten years we're going to see a great deal of development in in tackle and technique so it's exciting i i learn something new every time i come out and i'm looking at these flies here this one i mean your shank looks like it's made out of a cut up hanger this fly is green and orange with grizzlies and gold flash. And you got another one that's strictly all red. I mean, honestly, it's it's length of my long as my forearm. I mean, it's it looks like a windsock from a helipad. And then your next one is we've got gray and some oranges and reds. Are you matching? A, like, is this supposed to be a giant yellow perch? Are you just throwing meat? Do these fish react to one color versus another? Are you going for something that pushes water? I mean, what's the sort of um, the method behind the madness for these giant flies? I mean, do the fish just react to something swimming and they have to eat it? I mean, these things are just, there's a lot going on. And are, are there like specific flies like, oh, we're using Bowen's crazy musky, or are you just kind of you know, making these things up as you go? Is there like a try and true pattern? You know, like out here you've got a, a, a Clouser Mint or the Mr. Rapidan or a, a March Brown, but I don't really see names, you know, from musky flies. They just sort of, everyone's got their own proven patterns. And like you said, you're, you're learning things. You find something new to incorporate the next time. How do you come up with this stuff? Yeah. Well, yeah, I have to laugh a little bit because you, you, you did bust me a little bit. I am, we do make a lot of this stuff up as we go. And as you notice, yeah, there there definitely uh, is uh, kind of a lot of stuff going on with these flies, and they they uh, um, well, you know, I guess I you, you, you threw a lot off my kind of across my plate with those questions, and uh, I, I I guess um, these are you know muskies are are, are a real interesting critter because they they will eat just about anything that they can get their their uh, their jaws around, which are substantial, so. I, my approach is, tends to be one of uh, you know depth and speed control and fishing top to bottom and and ultimately we go back to the biology card when we try to figure out what these fish are doing. So what I tell people is to try to figure out what the main forage base is in in the water you're fishing. And um, where I come from up in northern Wisconsin, we have a very uh, stained. Uh, set of water where we we've got tamarack swamps and uh that, that feed most of the river systems so we get that kind of that root beer colored water and that's where you're seeing these uh very very vibrant high contrasting colors that uh are displayed on the flies i got here that i fish quite a bit so you see a lot of uh oranges and chartreuses and even bright pinks and things that have no really place in the natural order of things but they somehow show up under under water in the visible light spectrum that is is underwater well, and they they give the fish a good target. Um, they also give the fishermen a good target. Most of my patterns that I tie, uh, the colors and the shapes and the styles, honestly, are more to 
keep the fishermen engaged than anything else. And and I think there are times where the fish will get very selective and specific to a, a particular food 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 organism in, the, in its form and its color. And and we have to be as anglers have to be aware of that and willing to adapt to that. But for the most part, my theory on muskies is that we have to put something out there that's going to provide a big target that um, they're an attack predator, really. And so the visual aspect of, of their acquiring prey is the last thing that really comes into, into the realm. And so a lot of the flies that you see that I tie have a lot of bulk to them uh, with the deer hair, and that's more for pushing that water and that underwater acoustic footprint that uh, these predators use for, you know, they have a lot of skin. A muskie has a lot of surface area, and like a, a, a really highly evolved uh, nuclear submarine, they're, they're acoustically uh, in tune, and they hunt through the pores in their skin and the lateral line, and so they acquire uh, their prey a lot through the, you know, the underwater realm. And uh, I guess that's kind of the... the the madness behind uh, the look of our flies. So they they push a lot of water. Um, they provide a lot of contrast in, in the available light conditions. And, I mean, honestly, uh, there's a lot of practice in musky fishing, so my flies are designed to fish really, you know, interesting to the angler as much as they are, you know, to the fish. And so that, I guess that, hopefully that answers your questions. But thanks. The next set, quick question is, uh, so I'm guessing these are made to shed water pretty quickly for when the guy's got to pick them up and cast them. And also, what is your source for these? You've got pretty long deer hair. You've got different type of deer up north than we'd have here. And you've got long feathers. Do you have a certain you know, fly shop or supplier you go to? Do you have to source materials yourself? Are you cutting up feather dusters? Um, I mean, there's definitely some unique materials that you're throwing into these guys. Is it easy to find stuff, or is a lot of uh, DIY? Yeah, a lot, of D- a lot of DIY. As you're seeing here, um, we've got some really outlandishly big genetic chicken hackle and uh part of part of that uh is um you know that whole hair feather trend was pretty much evaporated all the really big genetic hackle not that long ago and we're still experiencing a a kind of a drought in that in that sector of the fly tying world so yeah genetic genetic chickens yeah we're not cutting up feather dusters yet but there's only a few really good flocks of genetic chickens in the, in the country, and um, I so yeah, I went to the source, or you know, originally this is all whiting and Metz type genetics. Uh, we're looking at you know some serious 12 inch plus genetic hackle to to create that illusion of of bulk in 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 the in the fly, and I tend to stick to the the natural materials. We've got prime you know northern bucktail. We get the long big uh prime you know white-tailed deer bucktail from northern wisconsin northern minnesota northern michigan and maine i mean uh i've had a little bit of experience with canadian whitetails and and they get even better up there but we have a hard time getting uh tails across you know international borders and customs and all that now but i would suspect that you know, Saskatchewan and Manitoba have even better material, but I've created my own brand of stuff called, that I call Primo Tail as a, as a result of sort of this craze for the musky fibers. But the acquisition of the the big good material is is an ongoing quest, just just like it was, you know, just like it is for the the West Coast steelheaders, or it was back in the Victorian days when they were creating these 
gaudy Atlantic salmon flies that, that are, you know, still famous and interesting to look at. So finding the proper materials and getting, you know, just the things that, you know, are just so is kind of a result of a the pursuit of a fish that, uh, you know, like I said, they they're, they can drive you kind of to the end, ends of the world beating your head against the wall trying to get them to eat sometimes. So we get fairly picky about what we're putting on those hooks. And when you're fishing eight, nine, ten hours a day at times for a glimpse of a fish and sometimes, you know, literally a week at a time to get one eat uh, in, in the worst case scenarios, you know, they, these things will put you through a real grind. And so um, I guess it, it, it basically distills it down to where we're, we're going to, you know, to have the confidence that we're every cast doing the best we can. We look for the best materials and try to tie the, the most badass flies that we can come up with. And, and that's just the result of the game. So you mentioned, you know, what it's like to get one to eat during a day or week. Can you walk us through like a typical outing from first light, I guess, to the end of the day, what it's like guiding and, or, you know, leisurely fishing for muskie? Well, another great question. Um, my, my methodology is I recreate the, I go out prepared to recreate the wheel every day, you know, the, the very tough fish to pattern and, uh, they're a fish that changes, you know, changes their habit rapidly, season to season. Rarely do I get to go out and enjoy a known a known pattern and in, in, in you know going after these fish. You have to be ready to go top to bottom in the water column at any any given time, uh, based on the conditions. And if you're looking to kind of bone up on your your musky acumen, um, I'll tell you the best approach uh that i've seen so far is a book called modern streamers for trophy trout i'm saying that's the best musky book on fly fishing written so far kelly gallup and bob linzeman uh wrote a really great streamer fishing book and their approach to you know fishing out of a drift boat for trophy trout is basically uh along the same lines what we do for musky fishing so we'll start out uh, with pretty active patterns, generally on most days we're going to get out and fish something fairly high in the water column um, with a lot of speed and trying to cover as much water as possible, uh, throw, you know, th- throwing towards bank structure initially and, and just trying to find that hot fish. And sometimes you just have to, like, whittle it down. And um, these fish can go anywhere from eating ducks on the surface to, you know, crunching the big crayfish on the bottom so being able to fish top to bottom at any given you know time or point in the season is is critical um anywhere from you know these are like i said these are attack predators they 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 stalk their prey and and and, uh in the realm of fresh water their their burst speed is unmatched with any other critter so when they want to put the the gas to it a muskie can move over 30 feet in less than a second so they can cover you know the length of a driveway in a blink of an eye and so when they want to get something, they can get on it really, really quickly. Um, and so we have to have flies that can, you know, we can burn back through the water column as fast as we can retrieve and, pop, you know, like tuck the rod under your arm and double hand retrieve sometimes. And that speed can be a real trigger as well as no speed. Um, a lot of times uh, we we get to the realm where, you know, the, the hard, long pauses and these literally just, you know, these hang time moments can be the trigger. So... Breaking musky down is a hard thing. I could probably spend, you know, a whole long weekend talking just on my approach to these. But 
You have to be willing, like I said at the beginning of this question, to reinvent the wheel anytime you go out there. And, and they reward people that, uh, anglers that are willing to go outside and, and, and really study them and be willing to experiment day to day and, and even hour to hour. Things change in a blink of an eye with these critters. And, and they just, like I said, you throw your rule book outside, uh, the boat and, and really apply it. And to me, yeah, what you know? What are, what's the best advice? It's like it's called shut up and keep casting, and keep your fly wet, and uh, you know just spend as much time on the water. That's really you know the over you know with over a little decade of uh, outfitting and, and really targeting these things full time. Um, I have more questions now than I did when I began, and uh, that's part of what attracts me to this thing. What's the life expectancy of one of these flies, and how much time do you put into making one of these guys? Well, um, you know, a typical musky fly is a pretty good endeavor. Uh, a single two-aught pattern, which is small, you know, something in, in that realm that's maybe 8 to 10 inches long and, has, you know, has a pretty good amount of material in it. And we're looking at a 15 or a 20-minute endeavor for a, an accomplished tire and, you know, 45 minutes to an hour for somebody that, that tackles them, you know, a few at a time. And and then you know we're talking some pretty pricey materials. These feathers right now are are not cheap, and you know we're looking at a buck to two dollars a feather in a lot of cases. Uh, a lot of flash, um, quite a bit of bucktail, high end hooks. You know you can you can be looking at you know on the retail side of things tying your own flies sometimes. You know six to eight bucks per pattern, um, and a lot of time invested on in them. Uh, so you want to put something together that's going to last and these these you know the, the the line of flies that i have have been evolved over time and we use a lot of reverse tying techniques uh bob popovics in his hollow style tying and and that ends up you know we use a lot of thread and a lot of interlocking materials but honestly with a with a hair feather flash you know the, the chicken feathers and the bucktails and some flash we prov- we actually get really bulletproof flies and honestly a lot of these things will take 15 20 even up to 30 fish a piece on them they're they, you know they 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 are remarkably durable uh when it comes to predator attacks because when you get a fly that works you really want them to keep working and that was part of what getting into this you know designing flies and creating patterns that are you know proven and, and indestructible that's 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 kind of what what has led you know led this whole evolution any crazy stories of things you've seen you ever boat a fish and it throws up a badger or like a turkey or something some crazy things you see on the water i once heard a story when i worked at orvis a guy claimed that they caught a striper in new england that threw up a baby bear i don't know if that's true or not but i'm assuming a muskie would pretty much eat anything if they're going after your oars and your prop oh yeah there's all kinds of crazy uh tales you know i can only tell you what I've, I've actually you know seen and witnessed and uh if you get a chance when you know come on over and talk to kelly gallup when we're over at mossy creek um later in march here because kelly used to be he's from michigan and he's got some great musky stories he was a i'm not sure if he still is a taxidermist he might be he might he might still be dabbling in the uh you know in the art of mounting things but uh he used to be a well pretty well <laughs> he used to be a pretty well-known taxidermist and uh, Kelly's told me some pretty wild tales about stuff he's pulled out of uh, dead muskies' stomachs. But they, you know, they uh, they're they're kind of a crazy fish. You know, I mean, uh, I've actually seen 
45-inch muskies that are choked to death by 35-inch muskies. So, you know, you got a 25-pound fish that somehow thinks it's going to eat a, you know, 12 or a 15-pound fish and, um, you know, comes to its tragic end that way. But my own uh, my own experiences, I've seen them take uh, full-grown ducks down before, um, you know, there's many times during the season where we're fishing smallmouth bass, and we've got a great smallmouth bass fishery in northern Wisconsin, and um, a lot of the bigger bass that we catch, 15, 16, 18-inch fish, are severely musky-scarred, and, uh, you know, a few times each season we'll, we'll, we'll have uh, bass or small northern pike that we're catching on flies that get attacked and mauled by muskies, and so really they, I mean, they can do crazy things uh as far as you know putting putting their uh putting their dentures around things um i uh i guess you know is when you're asking about the wild stuff that happens these fish elicit a, a wild fl- flight fight or flight reaction out of the angler i guess the adrenaline junkie is uh makes a good musky fisherman because they they really do trigger that crazy adrenaline rush that you'd get from you know base jumping or or skydiving or something along that lines and uh, i had a client one time that had never musky fished before and his first musky follow just unnerved him so bad that he he was reduced to quacking like a duck for a while and i had i thought he was having a stroke and he sat down and kind of composed himself and came back into speaking english again and he he basically just was overcome with what we call up north of buck fever you know where you get that crazy you know your adrenal gland just goes into overdrive because really what happens you know you you put your being into these flies when you're doing it right you you don't just you're not just you know casting and bringing something back in you got to put your soul into that fly and if you're doing it right you're basically somehow inside that pattern and you're it's a it's the ultimate bait and switch if you like old classic movies it's kind of like king kong you remember that that scene where they got Jessica in the more modern, where you got the Jessica Lang up there, she's all trussed up with uh, vines and they're beating the drums and the natives are chanting and they're trying to get old King Kong out of the jungle and he comes out there and grabs the maiden and then he, he, you know, he falls in the pit and next thing you know there's a big mad scramble and you got a crazy beast that's somehow subdued and secured. And it's not unlike that with musky fishing, you know. We're, we're, we're bringing this predator out and... They're, they come to kill you, and when you're bringing that fly back to the boat, and all of a sudden the musky appears behind your fly, it's it's a serious moment, and it does crazy things to people, and um, it it'll it'll rattle even the hardest veteran of all this stuff. So that's part of the draw of this thing is that you there's fear and loathing involved in it, and uh, it does things to you that most other fish don't even scratch the surface on. So when you, you get them to the boat, and we had one, there's Burke Lake here, and we were fishing a popper with a copper drop, John dropper. And out of nowhere, this muskie just comes up three feet long and just starts shredding the bluegill. The thing, I mean, we must have flossed it because there's no way it's going to eat a copper John. But we had it to the boat and on a five weight, and I don't have boga grips. I don't have a net. And my client's like, what do you want me to do? And I'm like, just break it off. I filmed it. I was like, I'm not touching it. But wh- what do you guys do? Do you use, like landing nets to use those like um like scoop net things that i can't even describe them what and do you weigh them with bogas 
What do you do once you get a thing to the boat that wants to eat your hand? Well, brought up a really good point because when you start going after these fish, uh, you know, I, I just got, you have to be willing to deal with them because they they are it's a whole different thing. Their their front end is is a is a house of pain, and uh, there's a big holy shit moment a lot of times for guys that have never had to deal with one before. Because you know, getting you know, there's like three hurdles that you gotta at least three hurdles you gotta cross to to deal with musky. One of them is first thing you gotta get them to eat the fly, and the next thing you gotta keep them on the hook all the way and then once you you know if you're lucky enough to get one in the boat then you got to be able to deal with them so you know you got to come prepared to handle the beast so we we have a it looks like a field surgery kit generally speaking is what we come with you know big giant spring kind of contraption devices called jaw spreaders that'll you, you, you deploy them and it'll keep that mouth wide open they have a incredible bite force speculum. big speculum yeah it's it's kind of crazy looking stuff a ser- you know, a bunch of different long nose type of pliers and uh, bolt cutters. Actually, sometimes you know you have to actually just be able to pop the hook out. You know, be able to cut the hook to get them free. Um, and over time, I've I've gained a tremendous amount of respect. Like I said, these fish can live to be upwards of 15, 20 years old, and the the big ones are senior citizens, and they're they're you know they're tough, virile fish, but they also have a little bit of a fragile side. You're asking about landing them, um, being you know being able to deal with them after you 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 capture one is a huge part of this, and and uh, we owe it to these fish to handle them as efficiently as possible and put as little amount of stress on them as we can. So I encourage everybody to pinch their barbs, and um, I've went to fish in single barbless hooks only, even in the big articulated flies. I only have one hook on there, and it's barbless. It's a lot easier to deal with them. Even these big giant flies that are the size of your forearm, um, remarkably, a lot of times there's nothing to be seen from them. You know, when you're fighting them, they'll inhale the whole thing, and they end up down in the gill rakers or in the throat, gone, absolutely gone. And then you got to deal with that once you get in the boat. How are you going to get that undone? You know, you know, you can cut it off and let them swim away with a big giant, you know, something in their mouth. And is that the best way to go? And probably not. So. Landing them and handling them and releasing them is real critical. And you're asking about how do we land them? Well, uh, you're not going to land them with a trout net or a bass net, that's for sure. And you, you know, the, there's there there are cradles that you can use that are specifically designed to handle these big predators. But big giant nets, I mean, something you can get your you know your ten year old into is not unheard of. You know, there's there's big specific musky nets made for that. Um, honestly, a lot of times I don't I I prefer not to put them in the net at all. We'll we'll hop out. We'll you know roll over to shore and get out and and uh and bring them up into the shallows and and lightly beach them you know uh, and, and you know if you can find a spot to do that that's a good thing keeping them in the water is real key they can be real ornery in the boat a lot of guys make the mistake they'll net them uh if you got a big net that's the best probably the you know the most efficient way to handle these critters but once you net them don't bring them in the boat try to Keep them in the water. Keep that, you know, keep that hoop of the net out of the water, but keep the bag of the net and the fish in the water. You know, they're they're uh, they're they're a pissed off critter. They don't like being captured. There's a lot of uh, you know lactic acid that'll build up during a fight, and you want to try to calm that fish down. Keep them in the water. Let them breathe and start to recover. Um, you know, if you if you must take a picture, make it quick. You know, pick them up, keep them wet. Get them out, take a picture, get them back in the water as quickly as possible. Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, there, I, I, there's there's tons and tons of horror stories. Uh, I bulgas are bulgas are interesting because uh, they're they're a nice way to kind of handle that toothy end of things. But I encourage people, you know, to, to use it to kind of control their head, but don't lift them out of the water with the boga. Um, these are big fish. They have a lot. They've got a lot of internal organs and a you know they've got a big skeleton that can get damaged pretty easily once you pull them out of that water. The gravity and the you know the 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 force of their weight and they can be real violent in hand. Um, so pulling them out and lifting them up by the gill or the head and, and handle them only from that and you know try to hold them horizontally and use both hands and try to support their weight and take take care of them. You know is is big and tough and 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 you know badass as they are. They are you know I'm, I'll I'll say they also have the ability to be injured real easily and you know it takes. Like I said, 15 years to grow one of these trophies, so let's respect them and deal with them. But be prepared. Like I said, be prepared to handle these. When you go out musky fishing, I mean, at the bare minimum, have a really good set of needle-nose pliers that has some kind of a, you know, a bolt cutter, uh, you know, a wire cutter available. And then I'd also encourage people to, you know, at least have, a, you know, some kind of a jaw spreader or something to handle on that end of things. Because, uh, yeah, you know, getting them in the boat is a whole different experience. Where do you find them in the water? Are they like a certain depth, certain temperature, light? So Miles and I, we keep talking. We're going to go out and take the drift boat to Burke. It's a big lake. It's pretty long, but it's it's where I guess to find them. Structure, trees backed up in the lily pads. They like you know hanging out under that thermocline where it's just a couple degrees cooler in the summer. What, what, what do you look for when you're trying to throw a fly to a, a waiting muskie? And did I get your answers at M-U-S-K-I-E or... M-U-S-K-Y. Because I use that on a message board, and people are like, man, that's wrong. I'm like, well, I'm from Virginia. We, you know, It's like ordering a Coke in, in Alabama, and they bring you a Mountain Dew. I mean, there's different names for things everywhere you go. <laughs> Spelling-wise, it's good. You can actually do it both ways. Uh, where we're from are pretty simple. So, you know, M-U-S-K-Y, that's five letters. Uh, pretty simple, straightforward. Where I'm coming from, Musky, Musky, we're the home of you know home of world record muskie so on the water tower in hayward it's m-u-s-k-y but uh you see it both ways m-u-s-k-i-e as well that's an extra that's an extra step so being simple where we're from we we tend to keep it that same way but a lot of editors you see around are using the i-e and i like to yank them a little bit and say you know that's just for weenies but it's really correct either way and uh getting to your second part of that was where do you find them? Well, that's a great question too. It's seasonally, um, you know, they 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 can be literally anywhere. Uh, go back to the biology. I mean, the f- first thing I tell people to look for is what's what's the food base. You know, what is their forage base any given time or any given body of water. Um, you know, again, I could spend a couple days just sitting here. And I got a lot of spit, uh, as you see. I, I like to t- I like to ramble, but you know, finding these critters. You know, it, it's it, People that tend to be a little bit like a private investigator, I think, are well-suited for muskie fishing because the more you observe these things and kind of learn their habits and stalk them, uh, that will that, reward you. Uh, you know, try to seek out the, the main forage fish species first and foremost in any given water. You know, it could be a perch or a sucker or a shad-based forage system. Think of muskies like you would think of a wolf that's, ha- you know, hanging around a herd of caribou. Uh, find, find the, you know, find the flock of chickens or find the flock of, or the herd of, uh, you know, caribou or whatever that, you know, 
prey species is and the predators are going to be nearby. So go back to biology. If you're really scratching your head, try to go back to the biology of things first and foremost. But they really are a niche, you know, predator that they can occupy anywhere. They can they can go and, and hunt those thermal clines out over open water. Um, you know, you will find muskies sometimes over 60, 80 feet of water, suspended 15 feet down um, with nothing of any type of structure for, you know, miles around at times in big, big systems, you know. Um, where we're at up in northern Wisconsin, uh, we, we tend to fish more shallow flowages and smaller natural lakes and a lot of flowing, you know, big, big river systems. Uh, and they can be anywhere. They can be anywhere from the, you know, right up in the, in the riparian area in the shallows, like you're saying, tucked back in the lily pads, or, or you know, in, in in those in those kind of those edge zones, all the way out to, you know, home, the home of you know, generally speaking, the home of these big predator fish is, you know, most of the time deep water situations. They like sanctuary water, but they really like to, you know, find they, they'll they'll follow roots back into their hunting zone. You know, think of them following paths from the deep water. They'll they'll contact points and reefs. And uh, you know traditional pathways, and they'll follow that structure up into zones where they, you know, will will come on to structure and hunt efficiently. So, really, it is about finding those spots that, um, you know, have have things coming together. And again, go back to trying to find what that forage species that they're looking for. That's what I'll tell people. Where are you headed after your evening at Whitlow's on Wilson Boulevard here in? Good old Clarendon, Northern Virginia. You got to go somewhere and then come back down to to Harrisburg in a couple weeks. Yep, life on the life on the Muskie Trail, the southern, like I said, that southern, uh, the endless spring southern swing. I'm I'm gonna go down to uh, South Carolina for a little bit and dabble with some salt. And yeah, I'll be back into Virginia for a spell, um, messing around, continue messing around with these muskies. And I don't go back to Wisconsin until early May. I'm gonna be in North Carolina and Tennessee for the month of April, uh, really continuing to you know search out this this uh, quest for my Southern Muskie experience, and um, we've got a cool Muskie fly fishing tournament over in MacMinnville and Rock Island, Tennessee, in early May. So anybody that wants to come out and see some of this stuff firsthand and have a Good time. Uh, first Saturday, for Friday and Saturday in May, we got uh, we've got some musky fly fishing uh, on hand, you know, live and in person over over in Eastern Tennessee. Uh, so yeah, I'll be around the area quite a bit here, and likely you'll see me below the Mason Dixon line quite a bit in the next few years, in the in at least in the uh, the winter months. You know, watching your videos was one thing that I'm, I'm very jealous of. You get to wear overalls. I'm not allowed to wear those. I have the, my wife put the kibosh on overalls. I'm so jealous that that is part of your wardrobe. Uh, yeah, and um, yeah, I'm single and a bachelor, and I live in a Land Cruiser with a dog. So there you go. How are the cheese curds doing these days? Well, um, I get, cheese curds are like the grits of the north. So I'm, I, yeah, I haven't really seen too many good cheese curds down here. But I'm, no, no, man. I tell you, if if you've never had fresh curd, you're missing out. It's got to be room temperature, 
and it, it squeaks like a mouse that's getting stepped on. Any words of wisdom for listeners that are going to start maybe pursuing some musky? Besides, A, buying the DVD, maybe hiring you for a day. Any just words of wisdom? Uh, run right now. Just back away and go the other way, and you'll be okay. But if you can't stop looking into the light, then I'll just say um, be prepared for a house of pain. And uh, the best thing you can do is just uh, you know get rid of it. Everything you have that is of value right now, and uh, be prepared to spend a massive amount of time in the water. And, and you know, and we get back to that. Yeah, just shut up and keep casting for the most part, and, and keep your mind open, and you know, realize that this is you know, it's it, it, this isn't brain 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 science or rocket surgery. So uh, you really, <laughs> you know, it, it is an endless quest. And like I said, I mean, after you know, over a decade of doing this, I still have. Uh, Still got a lot more questions than when I began. So, if you're uh, if you're kind of a an angler that likes a challenge and you might have a little bit of a masochist to you, then uh, this is something you might want to consider. Otherwise, uh, like I said, it's not too late to run the other direction. What year and model land did you drive? I'm pretty pretty fond of the Land Cruisers from the early '80s. So yeah, I do the FJ60s and the '62s. So I'm I'm into my vintage rides, and so yeah, I got a couple of them right now. I got an '84, '85, and an '88. And uh, yeah, if you want to talk Land Cruisers, I could do that for another week too. They're pretty cool stuff. Any companies that support your cause that you want to give a shout out to? Any sponsors or people that have just been worthy of uh, helping you out? Yes, and you know that's that's a great thing. I'm gonna say I'm gonna give some shouts right now to um, Toy Toy Boats out of Tennessee. They've uh, been with me for since they began a couple years ago, and they're building a wonderful guide tested skiff that uh, we're, we're discovering. So yeah, thanks to Toy Boats, Clear Cure Goo out of uh, Dallas, Texas. Um, wonderful light cured resin that's been helping out from again from the get go. Uh, Beulah Fly Rods, Medford, Oregon, uh, awesome, awesome company. Uh, Scientific Anglers Fly Lines out of St. Paul, Minnesota, love you to death. Howler Brothers, um, William Joseph, and uh, I'm probably forgetting a few others right now, but um, really been happy. You know, people starting to embrace this uh, end of the fly fishing spectrum, and um, like I said, I... I, you know, without their help, this I'd still be light years behind where we're at right now. So thank you, thank you very much. Where can we find you on social media, websites, YouTube, and uh, how can people get your DVD? Well, thanks for that opportunity. Yes, uh, Musky Country Out. That's Musky with a Y. Country Outfitters. MuskyCountryOutfitters.com. Primo Tail. Uh, Facebook, again, Musky Country Outfitters, Primo Tail. My name is Brad Bowen, B-O-H-E-N. You can find me on Facebook. Um, Zero to Hero, Musky Country, uh, third year fly fisher, the producer of that video. You can get our uh, DVD on there, and uh, we really appreciate all that support. Um, it's, uh, it's a pretty humbling experience, and uh, I thank everybody that has uh, you know, reached out in a number of ways so uh this is you know it's it's definitely a passionate lifestyle and uh i appreciate your time and great questions looking forward to this and, and you know thanks for letting me do a little promotion and giving a shout out to the people that helped me thanks for joining us and a big shout out to urban angler and richie over here for 
hosting you this weekend. How's it going, Richie? Been pretty good. All right, all right. Well, that wraps up this interview. Just under an hour, and uh, let's all go home. We shut this place down. Thank you for joining us for the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. For more information or to contact Rob, please go to www.robsnowwhite.com. media.com